Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Shop Talk Show. This is your host, Jason, from the Shield Bash podcast. I am joined today for, uh, by Bob from Knights of Last Call. Uh, Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit yo, about Yo, yo. Yeah, I'm uh, Bob from Knights of Last Call. Most of you guys know me as uh, Asius in our actual play. Um, or you've uh, seen me around the Discord or the comment sections of our YouTube channel. Uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're a uh, Pathfinder 2E mostly podcast uh, and um, YouTube channel. Though we do branch out into a bunch of different games, and uh, we've been doing this for about a year now, I think. So it's it's been a little crazy ride. Awesome, yeah. Um, and the nice thing about uh, having multiple systems under your belt is it'll help offer a wider experience for today's topic. Chosen uh, is DM advice. Uh, we are over a dozen episodes into Shop Talk Show. We've done player advice, new players specifically, and this will be the first time we've done Dungeon Master advice or Game Master or Storyteller or whatever the title of the rule system gives it. It's all more or less the same level of responsibility. And one of the things I want to make sure we're clear on is there's a ton of stuff out there for this. I personally watch yep. Matt Colville's stuff on YouTube and there's hundreds of others. Yep, he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the Angry GM uh, has like a blog series. Um, you know, even people like uh, like Matt Mercer have like bits of advice they've thrown out there. We are mostly just going to be talking from like personal experience, things we've seen that we like, that we don't like, and things just we're trying to, to do. <laughs> yeah. Bob, well, how, long, you... how long you've been jamming? Or DMing, GMing. Ooh, let's see. I started gaming in um, 2007. I started GMing not long. Well, I took the. I sat behind a screen um, mm -hmm. not long after that. Twelve years. Very nice. Yourself? So I'm I'm at one year. So this is what's what's interesting. So I've been, I'm playing with people uh, that have been GMing for 20 plus years. And most of the people in our community that we've been talking to lately are all these GMs that have been going on for years and years and years. So it's quite intimidating for someone like me. Um, I came in, and this is a TLDR, I came in from watching Critical Role going, oh, that's pretty cool. I, I, used, I play Magic the Gathering. I kind of always want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I think that's pretty cool. So I'm going to do that. Well, when you play D&D &D with your friends, it's, it's not Critical Role. No. And so so you realize pretty quickly, like, oh, this isn't exactly like I thought it was. And I started um, uh, trying to figure out what to do about that. And I luckily, uh, if people are know the Knights of the Last Call, they know GM Derek, who's been doing this for 20 years, uh, DMing basically D&D. &D. Uh, he sort of wanted to, he sort of ran me through some of the Citadel, which is a D&D &D adventure, and decided that uh, uh, he was going to teach me sort of the, the, the ropes, and uh, it was awesome. And he said, okay, why don't we do Pathfinder, because that's a new system. PF2 is coming out, and let's do that. But, like, uh, I have all this equipment. Let's start filming it. So that's actually how we started. But so that was my first introduction to really getting into more of a gamey system. And But, again, I, I sort of get intimidated by these people that just have vast experience, a lot more than me. Um, but uh, I'm getting a lot of encouragement, so I'm going to be running more games soon. But uh, I I am very new to this, and I'm very looking forward to GMing and and, and, and doing this. So I I have lots of advice from experienced people, but I also I'm also looking forward to a lot of these experiences coming up. And I think that leads us into a really good point because 
you can find a lot of advice out there, right? And like your friend, like I, I came in, in in kind of a similar situation where the people I started gaming with, they're all 15 to 20 years older than me and had been gaming since they were um, like in high school. Yep. And I didn't start gaming until I was like college age. So they well, had I'm 34 now. So I just started a year ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah i'm person i just turned 35 and there you go um i think actually the best example i can have of this is both when i got married and when i was about to have kids everybody under the sun had advice to give me <laughs> you know like this is how you make a successful marriage this is how you raise your kids well and yada yada and i'm like some of it i was like yeah that you know i'd be willing to try then some of it i was like that advice sucks yeah you put some in your pocket and the rest you pitch out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's important. One of the, um, you know, I, I used to play at a lot of conventions and one of the DMs there, she told me once the most successful DMs steal from the most other dungeon masters. Yep. And it's like, but you steal the stuff that works for you. Tell Like all the advice in the world doesn't mean anything if it doesn't work for the way you want to run the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen... Um, a lot of cool ideas, but they just, you know, and I've tried them at my table. Like, I remember one, the escalation dice. There's just, like, you a D6 you put down in front of the screen, and, like, every round of combat, it ticks up a point. Oh, yeah, those are, that deck adds a lot of anxiety to the match. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I, I think it may be different than what you're used to, but uh, for us, it was something that, like, it got added to the attack and damage of the players. Oh, that kind of uh, escalation. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I'm thinking more uh, of a doom counter. No, uh, this was this was like combat's gonna run faster because mm. you're gonna be doing like you're gonna you know get this like almost morale bonus to all mm. your stuff, right? And nobody like it just didn't really jive with anybody. Everybody was just kind of like, yeah, it's neat, but you know, eh. So like I thought it was a great idea. It just didn't really work for the table. Yep. Have you run into any stuff like that? Well, yeah. I mean, basically everything I think of, because I come from video game uh, MMO type stuff, uh, I think a lot of stuff is really cool or really driven. And um, I don't think it works the same uh, when I bring stuff to my table. A lot of my, I I guess different, my brother, who I usually play with, uh, he loves video games. So his, his idea is like, throw the monsters down and let's just kill them and level up murder hobo all day long. So he's not looking for this intrigue political, you know, environment, but I have other people that are like, well, I want to do some skill checks. I want to get into the game. What's actually the motivation behind some of this stuff. And I'm not the best at that. I can run combats all day. Cause that's just you know, math at that point. Um, so that part's easy, but, but are you really playing, I, again, I play Pathfinder, but are you really playing Pathfinder at that point, or are you just playing a video game? And that's what I've been having trouble with lately. Another thing is just is just building this world versus running an AP, uh, you mm. know, sandboxing versus uh, running uh, a pre-written adventure. Oh yeah. So that that has been a little bit of uh, like I felt very comfortable with APs. So then I will go with the AP to my group and say, "Is this something you're interested in? Is this is this what you want to run?" And I get a lot of like, that would be awesome. And then I like run one game, and then they're kind of like flaky and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, I get I've gotten unlucky with some of my group, but again, some of my group is is some of my family too, and they're they're busy. I've had I've had more luck with 
the Discord community and the community at large, but then you're playing VTT versus in person. So yeah. you got there's pros and cons. I mean, I can find a lot of games VTT wise, and that has I think been awesome. I've been mostly a player in those games, but I'm going to be running some GMing here soon for what I think is going to be the some kind of dwarven keep fortress. Hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna try to have some fun with with some stuff there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you think? I guess the question really is, and I got a question for you then too, is do you think that you should learn from this advice that you were talking about watching, uh, you know, Matt Mercer and, and, and everyone or Matt Colville and stuff, or do you get thrown in the deep end, take the training wheels off, ride the bike? Like some of the old DMs used to do. We, we were having this discussion about, do you take the wheels off and say, go let yourself fall and learn, or do you put the training wheels on and sort of try to get through it? I don't think there is a solid answer to that because <laughs> I think I legitimately think it's going to depend on every person. And part of this is like when I, so some of these things that you can read are like, these are the top 10 mistakes new GMs do. And I read these things and I'm I, like, I can check mark 10 for 10. Yes. I made all of these mistakes, but I had to make them to learn why they are mistakes. Exactly. You know, the DMPC horrible idea. The railroading, the, um, having, you know, a, a campaign that's already so set. There, there's something to be said for the illusion of choice, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's also something to be very strongly said against, like, oh, you really want to turn left? Well, now there's a brick wall there. Oh, you tore it down? There's another one because I need <laughs> you. To, like, you know, at a certain point, you got to let the players just roll. But I would say it's always going to depend on who you are. I don't think there's... And the group, right? I don't think that there's a necessarily a wrong way to do it as long as you are willing to acknowledge your mistakes and learn from them. And the and the group, the players, have to be willing to say, like, okay, this guy's new. If he comes to us and say, hey, I was doing this, but it's wrong, or I don't like it, or um, it's not going to work for something in the future, then to be able to change what it was whether it was a ruling or something about the campaign setting or something just being able to second part is really important because if you if your players and 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 we're all hopefully mature adults here and they go okay well bob's bob's new he's gonna try gming here if if they're just gonna be dicks to me i mean what am i even doing like we shouldn't be playing but if they're gonna go okay not like maybe like rules lawyerly, but like, hey Bob, on the side note, like that's not how that works. Look up the rule, but like after the session, let's let's fix it later. We just had fun while we we're doing it. I think that can be very good learning experiences, unless you really f something up. But yeah. like, if I think a, a mature, responsible party can help bolster and boost up a a new GM, and I'd I'd hope more people can have good players to help them become better gms because that's all what we really need you know we should be players and gms and we can learn from both sides of the equation yeah yeah and i think until you've sat on both sides of the screen you can't really know what it is that's happening you know Mm -hmm. but um one of the things that kind of goes along with what you said there it is a responsibility for everyone at the table to make sure everyone's having fun um, mm-hmm. Because, like you said, if you're being, if anybody at the table is just being an absolute jerk all the time, not just like, oh, he's having a bad day, but just why game with him? Exactly. Know? 
And so it becomes a thing where it's if anybody starts to make a mistake, as long as you just got to be willing to talk about it and acknowledge it, work through it, and then you move on with your life. Yeah, I hope we can all be mature. I know it doesn't always happen, but I know we've been we've been blessed with our group to have mature conversations like the example you talked about. Okay, we all want to go left. And then uh, GM Derek always says, uh, he goes, okay, everyone, I don't have the adventure for the left. If you guys want to go right, we can fight this dungeon, you know, in the next 30 minutes. But if you guys want to go left, um, I feel like we should end early and just hang out. And then I'll have left prepared for next session. And you could do that. And I think in a very mature meta standpoint and still have a lot of fun because you are still making decisions that are impactful for the game and giving player agency. But you got to have a mature conversation. Don't try to fudge and force it. Just be real. I mean, we're yeah. real people. <laughs> what I always do is uh, I say it's a human counter assigned. It says end of DM prepared material. <laughs> <laughs> Loading, please wait. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the other thing too is when we're, listeners, when we're talking about like maturity here, um, we're talking about like an emotional level of maturity, not like all types of maturity. Because if you want to sit there and giggle about penis jokes for thirty minutes, you know, uh, welcome to the club. Yeah, we have those inside jokes, uh, inappropriate jokes always happen. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We're talking about the ability to recognize the GM did not prepare that session, but we want to go that way, and that takes a level of of maturity not like you should do that for me or you should change it that's just unrealistic at that point one of the other things i'm gonna be mentioning this a fair amount it's also on the gm to just be able to tell the players hey i don't have anything prepared there you know like the players have to accept it but i know i as a person can sometimes not realize that the gm's hinting at it and i need them to just come out and say like hey there's i don't have anything ready or I screwed this up or whatever and just, you know, take ownership of your fuck up. Yeah, I mean, it, and again, that's part of the maturity. And I think uh, you have to be willing to take your mistakes and be able to, I think that only enables growth um, for both sides of the table as players and GMs. And uh, I think that's why I think uh, part of me jumping deep into this stuff is going to help me grow because I do uh, learn pretty well from falling. So I think I'll, I'll be able to grow. Uh, I hope so, at least. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I mean, at the very least, if you're publishing it, um, you'll have plenty of people out in the, the internet world to tell you about all the mistakes <laughs> you're making. I get that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. Uh, I was one of the th- first things we said in our podcast was, um, hey, uh, we know that some of these rules we follow aren't the, the ones that are in the rule book. Um, just presume we're doing it on purpose because we've been gaming together for over a decade and We've just changed some of these rules to fit our play better. Well, everyone should be technically doing that. I mean, that's part of the actual the written rules too, is to adjust yeah. the rules as your, you know, your play group and what is fun. So that just makes more sense. But there's always there's always somebody who needs to push up their glasses and do the well. Actually, um, yeah. Well, there are going to be rules, lawyers, but you kind of ignore them. And I mean, trust me, I get uh, I, I get lots of support and hate. Uh, depends on what I'm talking about, but. Uh, uh, I don't know. My opinion is my opinion, and I like to have fun. And if, uh, as long as I'm having fun and and my GM is happy too, I think we're all having a good time. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if everybody at the table is having a good time, then you're doing it right. Yeah, my GM always says the first rule should be that all the players are happy, and the second rule should be that you're happy. So, but yeah. if any of those are wrong, then you're just the the something should change. And I know that 
uh, Derek from the Knights of the Last Call has ended campaigns before because he was like, this isn't fun for me anymore, like him as the GM. And again, yeah. he's again he's very good at having those mature conversations. Well, he'll just get me. He's been blessed with having a good gaming group, but he'll say, "Hey guys, just not feeling it anymore." So rather than having terrible sessions from here on out, <laughs> they can either switch systems, try a break, you know, maybe try a board game, you know, play something else. There's so many things you could do. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I've I've had players drop for similar reasons where they've. They're just like, I'm just not sure if I'm having fun. And it's like, well, if I mean, if you're not, then you shouldn't be at the table. Like, the whole point, there's literally no point to you coming to a D&D game where you're just not having fun. Unless uh, there's something where it's like, I'm not having fun because, question mark. And then it's yeah. like, okay, well, why aren't you having fun? I'm not getting enough um, uh, screen time, in a sense. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. let's. Let, I'm going to ask you some more questions next session, and we'll get some more FaceTime with you. And so... I think that can be addressed. Again, those are conversations you have to be mature about. You can't just you can't just sit back and go, "Well, my GM sucks. He doesn't ever ask me any questions." Did you did you did you say something to him? No, I never did. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Yep, listeners, you will hear a reference to a longtime theme here. You have to communicate across the table, both ways. <laughs> yeah, and you know, player to player, player to DM, DM to player, all of it. Like you, you have to be willing to just talk about things because. Like Bob is saying here, if you don't, it's never going to get fixed, you know. And if your your problem is another player and you feel socially awkward about confronting them, you know, bring it up and we can it can be sorted out slowly, privately, or what have hey, you. Bring it up on the side. You you talk about on the side, or if you can't handle it, then again, obviously, then maybe maybe removing yourself from the session is the best actual thing. But uh, I guess that again, that's dependent on each person. Now, with all of this being said, too, I, I kind of feel like we're kind of painting this in a bit of a negative light. Listeners, we encourage, or at least I presume Bob will as well, we encourage you to try taking up the mantle of Dungeon Mastering. It oh, will yeah. teach you so many things about, like, I, learn, I feel like I know Pathfinder 1E as a system. What, like, the design criteria and concepts of the system because of my time spent running it like i i see the way that they like to write adventures the way that they stat out monsters some of the stuff they do like the way they design classes all because of just the time i've spent behind the screen with it and it helps me when i need to like change encounters and it also helps me as a player because then i kind of know i I, i'm going to say metagaming because there are ways to do this without it being like a dirty word but ways where you're just like, okay, I'm in this adventure. I got two choices. It's the end of the session. We need to wrap this up. We've been in this dungeon for six months. I'm going to make the choice that I think is going to get us pushed forward and progress. So being a dungeon master can make you a better player. I, I think it absolutely does. I mean, even if you started to look at just like, what do I have to prep for for an actual <coughs> you know session or encounter? You start to realize like how much work is being done into some of this stuff, but you also start like I think you talked about like the encounter math, and you start to realize sort of things that you might overlook as a player. And um, I think there's just a lot of fun flavor as also the GM. You're, you're sort of uh, you're sort of creating these, uh, and I'll, I'll take GM Derek's thing. You create these um, these situations 
you know, this, these flavorful situations that you as the GM is going to create. And then you let the players sort of develop these situations into something very creative that you yourself can be surprised as the GM. And then you take that solution that they came up with and create another situation. And these narratives sort of develop upon themselves. And it can be very fun for the GM as well as the player. I, I really enjoy both. I'm also kind of a control freak, so I do like being GM a little bit too. But um, I, I like this idea of creating these situations that are going to create decisions that have to be made by players and watch them think about it. And then how are they going to how are they going to react to this? And what does that actually mean for the larger campaign or the larger session or the larger world? And, and you don't get to do that as a player. I mean, you get to make those decisions, but you don't always see what actually happens. You get to play a lot more, pull a lot of the strings behind the scenes. I think that's very fun to do. Yes, especially if you have players who like to lay those strings out and let like give them to you to tug and pull. I know I've got some players that, you know, they they give me in their backstories like I have NPCs and character names and like positions okay. in the area so I'm like I'm able to tweak them in. All right, let me uh, stop you there. How, how how what's a good what's a good amount of backstory? Uh okay, so in my it's opinion It's always a fun one. It's always well, a fun one. <laughs> in my opinion, backstory should Tell the reason why your character is adventuring. Not what they want. Yep. But why they want it. Yep. As long as I've got that, to me, that is enough. I, I don't care if it's a paragraph that gets you there or if it's four pages. Oh, my God. If someone came to me with four pages, I'd be really... I'd actually feel stressed as the GM. Because <laughs> now I'm thinking to myself, like, the paragraph gives me like the why like you were saying mm -hmm. which is great i can work with a why and i can start to play in those little those little rooms and actually what happens is the backstory starts to build as the campaign develops but if you have set in stone four pages of information now i feel like if i sort of tug in a different direction that might not go with your backstory well now we're sort of two two fighting heads like mm -hmm. colliding and I don't think that allows you as much flexibility. Now, I get it. In your mind, you might have this great backstory. Um, but I, I, I'm sort of on the opinion that you just kind of give a, a a paragraph. And uh, yeah. I, I know gyms that like both ways. That's, that's again, my opinion. Uh, you guys can uh, you know yell at me, which is fine. Uh, for, for, but uh, that's my, my take on it. I think you can do a lot from having the flexibility of, um, of a good solid paragraph but having the room to grow the backstory because then you might develop something later and like hey what if that was actually the the town i grew up in it's like oh maybe it is like there's lots of so much fun you can have if you leave it open to development so yeah my my advice is players don't don't go crazy on the backstory you actually give your gm or dm a lot more flexibility as they're building the world uh, to tag on to that, I will say that if you are the sort of person who really likes a four-page backstory, just remember that just because they're in your backstory and like you remember somebody a certain way, uh, that doesn't mean they, that person didn't just like lie to you. There you, you go. Know? Maybe your uncle wasn't really your uncle, and you know he, was just, <laughs> he just lied to you. You're a child. How would you know? Exactly. Right? So if you're gonna write that, don't get mad if the DM's like, yeah, at, but actually. And see, change my, your stuff. Yeah, and my thought is, why even have to deal with that? Like, uh, just write less, 
and and think of it like you can have it in the back of your mind i had a i had a, a campaign that i was a sorcerer um dragon bloodline and uh it was a sky dragon they came out in pf2's uh, bestiary mm-hmm. and um i said okay that's uh you know how i got my powers and my my gm said um dragons don't exist anymore in this world they've all been killed off and i said that's fine that i like it my i'm in search of the ancient ruins of the sky dragons then like where they came from and what they did so it was, it was like a back and forth this 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 backstory started developed between the story and my backstory so he was not going to stop me from having the sky dragons but he wasn't gonna like say they're like sitting around the corner so we started got to play this and then my character had this better reason for adventuring that became from combining the campaign and my backstory together but it wasn't six pages it was just like this is kind of what's happening and and that's kind of the why it was it was it was really well done i thought and i I, long story short i died pretty quickly and uh (laughs) i never got to find those sky dragons but i always wanted to yeah, th- that's always the trepidation you have when you have this <laughs> awesome backstory, and you're just like, man, I put all that work into it. Like, I don't care if my character dies in this campaign, but I at least want my backstory to come into play first. Yeah, and well, then I can die. With, that's fine. Well, that happens with a lot of stuff, right? I mean, we see it now with with five E a lot. People make their characters, they make their four page backstory, they get their custom dice, their custom mini, and then you you as the GM go, oh man, they're about to die. Yeah. And uh, they're going to die in this next hit. Sucks and, for them. Uh, yeah, well, that's good because I don't fudge. So they are going to die. But that does suck. But people do, and we've seen it. And I'm sure you have too. They fudge it up. And they go, oh, yeah, but you were at how much HP you got? Oh, 27. <laughs> 25 hit points. It was close, but it, it almost got uh-huh. you. And uh, don't worry, your, your mini and your dice. And you're still having fun, right? Okay, good. We're going to keep going. Yeah. And I can't stand that. But at the same point, that's the same thing. It's like you don't need to become totally invested in this. You need to be invested in the the character as the piece of paper or the back the the, the, the mechanics that you built and, and who they are. But four page backstory, custom minis, though I do like them. They are very pretty. And I like yeah. custom dice. They are very pretty too. Just don't get too attached to everybody because death is imminent. Yeah. <laughs> the less so in these newer games, I guess. Oh, well, I mean I haven't seen it a whole lot um, in a lot of games, quite frankly. Uh, I was it was two weeks ago I was playing, and we were playing were playing Extinction Curse in my home game, one of the PF2 uh, adventure pads, and we accidentally had one of our players literally walk into a gelatinous cube, yep. and we were like we're struggling to fight it without it just engulfing <laughs> and murdering us all. When the second one comes down the hallway behind <laughs> us, and I was just like, "Bring it on! Come on! Like, let's <laughs> yeah. fucking go!" Right? Yeah. And the DM's like, are you, "Are you, like, are you serious?" And I'm like, you know "Yeah, retreat is an option." <laughs> I, I mean, it wasn't actually. We, our one exit was blocked by oh, one shit. cube, one exit with the other cube. It was like we're fucking fighting these things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it became a thing. I, I literally told him, "I'm like, dude, I haven't lost a character." In like six years, I haven't mm-hmm. seen a party wipe as a player in longer than that. Like characters die. Like let's just mm-hmm. fucking go. If we die, yep. we die. Roll up, a, roll up a new one. Yeah. Though in PF2 it does take. Uh, we joked about this earlier. Like yeah, dying's not a big deal. Oh, in PF2 you it takes you like freaking thirty minutes to a, uh, like an hour to build a new damn character, especially at higher levels. There's so many damn feats. 
I love it, but that also sucks when you die because rebuilding takes time. Oh. Did you ever play PF1? No. So all my, all, again, everyone in my group did. And then I came in, I literally, I think, almost as PF2 got released. So I just jumped right into <clears throat> PF2. I've been playing play, um, PlayStation Pathfinder 1E for over 10 years. And if I have to make a 7th level character, it's going to take me two hours because... Yeah. Uh, I'm just sitting there, and part of it is because I own all of these rule books. And I'm just like, there are a lot of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like flipping through, like, okay, what what mechanical options gonna fit the picture that I have? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah as so. you increase in level, there's just so many feats. <laughs> there's so much customization, which is a benefit of Pathfinder. But man, it can take a while. So dying again, they don't, they don't, they don't want you to die. But TPKs do happen. I've I've had a couple now. Um, none that I've given out, but I've been a part of two and, uh, it's not fun, but, uh, they do happen and you just gotta live with it and roll up and try another one or try something. Maybe what we did was we, we killed the, we killed the GM's campaign. We're like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to play, we're going to play a new campaign uh, next time. But, uh, I-, I think that's fine. And I think you just play with, with what works. You play it, like you said, the style of the players, you style the GM and figure it out. Yeah, there was uh, one of my f- the first times I ran Rise of the Rune Lords. That's what we're they... playing right now, so be careful. Well, I I, am, I, I, no spoilers. I am on um, top, I'm in book. Th- we're in, at the end of book three. Okay, uh, book. We're playing three, a PF two conversion, so we're on top of the. We're at the uh, Skull Dam. Turtleback Fairy. Okay. Yep. Um, so you're on top, so you've not gone inside yet. No, we just defeated a couple of uh, trolls. Gotcha. And and then we ended the session last last time, and now we're so, now we get to go down. It is inside Turtleback Ferry, uh, that dam. I mean, that I had that campaign's third party wipe, and I was like, okay, like I don't have a way <laughs> to bring a whole new group of adventurers into this and have it make sense, like again. Yeah. So I was just kind of was like, we're we're gonna have to play something else. Unless RGM, you guys want to start from the beginning. Yeah, RGM looked at us and, and said, uh, I don't know if you guys are going to survive. I mean, good luck. I, and he didn't tell us much. I know there's something ridiculous down there. And he did say to us, it hits you on a zero. And I was like, fuck. Like, this is going to be awful. So we might TPK. I have no clue. We, we actually run, um, again, you were talking earlier about custom house rules. And people that follow our AP know that we have some fucking broken house rules which is probably the only reason we've survived to this point um but we are on youtube we have to kind of we kind of have to try to make it at least entertaining and so it is kind of fun but uh, our hero point system is 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 very uh, heroic in a sense because uh, uh the hero points in pathfinder 2 let you re-roll yeah but uh that's not very heroic that seems very like luck like a luck point to us or we call we like to joke call it a math point um mm-hmm. Because it doesn't really feel heroic. It doesn't feel like a hero point. So Derek, our GM, said that uh, I think this this point should be freaking heroic. And you should not earn them casually. You should earn them by doing sweet sweet things in the game or very big milestones. So we don't earn them a lot. But when we do get them, they can upgrade or decrease the success of a roll. So if we roll a, a, a critical failure, we can upgrade to a failure or a failure to a success and a success to a critical success. And that is freaking broken but it is very heroic and very awesome and so yeah. that is why we've been able to survive at this point i think and we'll see if we can take on whatever's coming up next but i 
I know that a TPK is always imminent, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it's a cool adventure. Rise of the Moon Lord is pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's I, I'm, I'm running it through a play-by-post now just because I'm like, I've tried to, this will be now my fourth time trying to run it, and I'm like, I am, I want to finish this adventure. <laughs> I want to finish this. I'm running Shattered Star. I want to run Curse of the Crimson Throne and Return of the Rune Lords and, like, everything that's in that Rune Lords yeah. block, but... Uh, but I like yeah. your guys' house role for that. I might actually bring that up uh, for our for our podcast and like my home game. The, so some of the people have used it where it's only an upgrade versus a downgrade. But but then you lose, I think, on the on the spellcasters because they they sh- they they obviously want you to decrease the success role that the other person has. But either way, it's it's very very strong. It feels very heroic. Versus yeah. this is why this is what happened. And I'll, I'll, I'll give everyone listening a little story here. We, we were playing. This is how our TPK happened the other day. Uh, probably, I think, two weeks ago. We rolled failures on attacks that happened to us. And we have hero points. So we're like, all right. Guy attacks us. I rolled my save. Failure. I said, oh, man, that sucks. I'm going to be really close to death. I'm going to use my hero point to re-roll. Re-roll nat one. Okay. Now I took a critical failure. I, yeah. I ended up going prone and dying one. The next guy in the party should have been dying too. Yeah, dying too. Sorry, dying too. The next guy in the party, he ends up getting hit. He fails his thing, critical fail. Oh, sorry, failure rolls a hero point, goes critical fail. So two in the same fight, and we said, that okay. Sucks. Now again, we're just bitching about being unlucky, but at the same point, this doesn't feel very heroic. This point is just a lucky point. Like we earned it, and we're gonna just try to be lucky and get something better. You know, it's not the same as the advantage in. Um, uh, uh, 5e because that actually you could take the higher roll. This is actually yep. you have to take that shitty roll that you just rolled. And so one we learned, don't ever roll it on a failure because it's just awful. Uh, only roll it on a crit fail as, unless you die on the yeah. regular fail. But two, we like our hero points which actually feel very heroic and you you do, you've, you've, you're like, oh, I hit him with my sword and like it's a success. Oh, I'm going to use a hero point. I smashed him with my sword and gutted through him. It's like, oh, critical success oh yeah okay now something crazy is gonna happen so that kind of feels really fun and um again that's again that's our house rules but uh rise of the Rose is really fun i'm really excited to uh, hopefully try to do that quest of the frozen flame that's coming out from uh paizo oh, we're supposed to get access to that soon and um be able to play that hopefully if uh if we can find some free time to run some more games we're, we're pretty we're pretty busy up these days yeah that's always part of the problem but it does this whole thing does bring up a good point of like house rules and advice on house rules. Don't be afraid to try them and then don't be afraid to say this doesn't work and get rid of it. Absolutely. Especially that second part. You should always be trying them, but, but don't just feel like they have to stay. Yeah. I mean, if it's broken, like if it's really making your game stupid at that point, you, you, you can talk to your players. Again, we talked about communication and maturity you guys said, like, hey, guys at the table, I made that rule because I thought we need a little bit of power here, but I can see now it's actually overpowered. I'm going to pull it back, and we're going to do something different. Or something. I don't know. You, 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 it depends on the rule, and you can figure it out. I mean, we've, we've done a lot of custom rules, but a lot of the other ones have been more um, flavor-driven, like RP-driven. But one of the ones we used, um, and I don't know if you've used this, is the Resolve Stamina rule in the GMG for Pathfinder, which basically allows you to, I guess, break it out mathematically is like, 
I believe it is half your level times your con plus half your half your class HP, and then your HP becomes half your level times half your H, uh, mm. HP that your class goes. So you basically get a stamina pool, and then you get a HP pool. And the stamina pool is basically like a armor in Halo. It regenerates over time in a sense, but you don't actually take actual hp damage and so what ends up doing is what uh, our gm liked is you don't get back like stamina from um healing potions or medicine checks your stamina is like your resolve it's your determined your determination to keep going yeah and so if you get rewarded a resolve point it's because you as the party decided to not go back to town but to keep persevering forward and so therefore in our game there's not a lot of oh we used our spells so we're going to go back to town and heal up and then we're going to go back for one day and then go back to town and then go back out and then go back to town. And that's sort of lame and not fun and not heroic. It doesn't sound very adventure-like. So the idea that we 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 get down on our luck, but we keep driving forward and we use these resolve points to get back our stamina and, ste- and steady ourselves and, and we keep driving to this, uh, this ultimate goal. And that's been a lot of fun, and I think it's worked out really well. I don't think that's been as broken as the damn hero points, but um, the resolve, if people are listening, is another fun way, I think, to get your party to keep moving versus to go back and just heal up every time. Yeah, and you, that's in the uh, second edition Game Master's Guide? I believe it's in the GMG. It's okay. one of the variant rules that you can do. Not not the hero point one, but the uh, stamina one. <laughs> yeah. No, the hero I mean, point it... one's actually just taken from the natural rules itself. Like, there are there are spells and abilities that let you increase or decrease the success of conditions. Um, and things like if you like, they're like you roll fort save. If you roll a success, you can increase it to a critical success. I think that's juggernaut. And that's perfect. There's already a system built in. So we'll just take that exact system and use it for rolls. So it works out pretty well. And the, the resolve pool, if it's in the second edition one, then it sounds like they basically just adapted the Starfinder system because that's how Starfinder runs it. Perfect. I knew it was taken. I don't. I. I think Jarek did say it was taken from somewhere. I. Again, I don't. I didn't pay attention to it too much. I usually play raw, except for with GM Derek. I don't think you need that rule. I. I think it's very fun in his game. Um. I like it both ways. It can become complicated because things like, well, I'm going to take a potion. Well, that doesn't go to your stamina. Like, no. oh, okay. Well, now I got to think about that. And then when you level up, it's like, okay, it's only. It's like my level times half my you know, HP of my class. Okay, so it's a little complicated, but it works out in this scenario. He just wants us to keep driving forward, and it keeps keeps pushing the narrative forward, which keeps it entertaining at that point. Yeah, that is, that is one thing. You know, it, it speaks to GM styles. Your GM found a way to, like, organically make it into the rule system where players want to keep going forward. I personally do the in-walks-a-man-with-a-gun strategy where if they take too long... Um, <laughs> You know, something <laughs> bad happens because yep. the rest of the world doesn't stop spinning. Yeah, there's like random. I mean, we've gotten the random encounter rolls from other GMs. Uh, I've not got to do that as my own self GM, and Pathfinder Two doesn't do it well. But uh, we've had random encounters, and that will that will fuck your life up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're like not ready for that. You're like, oh, I'm gonna walk back to town. Oh yeah, random encounter. Like shit. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, like, you need, you're low on spells and hit points. Yep. Oh, good luck dealing with this Hydra that rolled in is, looking for lunch. We've done this, and he did this a couple times in Rise of the Rune Lords. He said, "Okay, you guys can go back to town and heal if you guys want." But then, when you get back to Thistletop, goblins could have redone their reinforcements. They could have, oh, yeah. uh, you know, they could have done that. Or 
you know, uh, I forget who it was that's dealing with Malfasheknor, trying to r- rise him back up from the dead uh, or from the other plane or whatever. But uh, he was like, okay, now she's got an extra chance, uh, percentage dice to do this um, because you guys wasted a day going back to town. And I'm yep. like, crap, do we really want to go back to town and, and have the enemy get a full day of like prep towards this like demon? I'm like, that doesn't sound very good, but that's actually really good decisions that you give your players. If you're the GM, you say, here you go. It's not my decision. You can go on and fight it, or you can go back to town, be at full strength, but I'm going to, there are consequences. And that starts to go in this player agency where it's like, all my decisions that I do as a player matter. And the more you can do that as a GM to give your players to make their decisions matter just is so good. For the cohesion of the game, your players feel like they're they're impacting the story. It's just, it's an incredible thing you can do. No, I, I agree. There's there should always be some sense of, of urgency, not like pressure, not like you have to keep going, but just the understanding, like you said, of if you don't, the world keeps turning. The bad guys are still doing stuff. Yep. So and you know, a lot of that is really old school advice, you know, where if you try to sleep in a dungeon, more than likely some creature is going to come wandering into the room that you're in and, you know, be like, oh, why are you in my dungeon? Smash, smash. <laughs> yeah, you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I think all that's just great advice to, to have and, and things to think about, not only as a player, but as your GM and how you're building this and think about how your players are going to react to these situations and give them those opportunities. You guys want to keep going forward? You guys want to go back and rest? Oh, if you go back and rest, there's consequences. There's these enhancement dice. There's these doom counters. There's things that you can do to, to, um, to give the players um, the sense that things are still moving. I, I know that um, uh, Derek has played this, but I have not. Blades in the Dark. Uh, he's a big fan of Blades in the Dark, and they use clocks. And so the clocks keep ticking as things happen. And there's lots of different clocks. And one clock could say you know sorcerer summons demon and it's got like six ticks on it and it's mm-hmm. like okay we're going back to town all right click it's like shit everything i do matters and i can physically see that it matters the clock is ticking the dice yeah. pool is adding up that adds a ton of uh uh i don't want to say fear but uh, like this uh the sense that you are as a player like shit everything i'm doing is real and matters and it's affecting every little decision and you the gm can pull those and create new clocks and create new things to to increase and entice your players uh dirk always says um you know you want to give your carrots a, uh, uh, your your players a carrot and kind of like you know pull them along if you want them to do something don't force them to do them force them to do something but give them a carrot lead them that way but there's a reward for going that way and there's consequences for going other ways so you're not sort of forcing them but there are rewards if you can continue on he would he would say in his other games, uh, if they went harder and farther without going to rest, the treasure became rarer and more magical or, or higher level because you pushed and, pers- and persevered through, nice. through obstacles. And therefore, you go, okay, I'm a player. I could go back and rest, but if we keep going, we're gonna get some sick loot. Yeah. And that starts to become this idea of like, what should I do? Should I go back? Should I go forward? All this decisions making is so good for the players. <laughs> It also helps, like, when I play, part of it is, like, I have to husband my abilities, you know, I have to make sure that I, like, I don't just go in and, like, blow all my highest level spells and my once-a-day things right off the bat, and then when it You're talking about as a player? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then it's like, 
because it, it's all about like knowing what that urgency is mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like uh, i remember we were doing jade regent and we're off in this keep to try and save our friend who we know has been kidnapped and is being held there we're pretty sure anyway and we got like four we got like i think it was like six rooms in right and one of the players is like i'm out of spells i need to rest oh, we're shit. like like no <laughs> like, we, we've been in here like in game time like 30 minutes we got to find insert npc you know no spoilers listeners uh and it's just like he but every other room he's like i'm out of spells i'm like well you still got your fucking bow like just it's not our fault you used all your abilities let's go like yeah. we gotta find her yeah and that's 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 interesting and in that and i'm not, i don't usually play the spellcaster though i'm starting to learn spellcasting a little more um by playing the sorcerer but uh yeah you have to really balance like when do you think that you need you're going to have to go rest and when do you think you're not going to be able to because you have to is it worth dropping that second level spell third level spell and then losing those spell slots yeah. now on the other side we, we've joked about this especially in pathfinder 2 they give you this sorcerer with like seven thousand abilities like two pages of information and all these different spells and you're like yeah well i'm the uh i'm the uh monster uh, I'm just going to blow my fucking biggest spells right out the gate. Why yeah. the hell are you give me this first level spell when I have fourth level lightning bolt? I'm just going to hit them with lightning and then I'm going to do fear and then I'm going to smash them. Like this isn't, this isn't the same. It's not the same thing. A PC should think about their spells and how to, you know, use them conservatively. But the, uh, but the monsters just let them freaking rip, and therefore you need to be aware that they are going to let them rip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're as a DM, you're lucky if you can get through four or five spells oh, yeah. from a spellcaster. Yep. <laughs> like, normally they're dead long before then. Yeah, we always um, say, you know, three or four rounds is basically, should be a fight. If it's lasting any longer, there's probably something wrong. And and maybe if you actually, if it lasted less than that, you probably did something wrong too. You, cause, at least in Pathfinder, the math is so tight that it's you something happened if it was only a like a one round fight <laughs> yeah maybe it's something wrong maybe you know somebody crit and did you know 70 damage in a single shot and you're just like well fuck yeah uh, <laughs> well that's just the way the dice roll at that point <laughs> yeah one other thing uh, a bit of advice i wanted to to get into because this is something that really irks me and that is when dms try i call it trying to be clever uh, where they try to be like subtle or like try to like be mysterious where they're trying to hide stuff and the example that I always think of is one of my first DMs he would always do this thing where he's like I, I need you to make a save well, what kind of save because just a save I'm like well like for will reflex oh uh, it's a fort save okay what am I saving against just make a fort save and I'm like well I get all these bonuses I guess I'll just apply all of them then and then he would finally tell me, like, okay, it's a poison effect or whatever. Now, this is mostly because of Pathfinder and at the time, D&D 3rd Edition. It's a complicated game. There's a lot of granularity. There's a why lot make it, of stuff. Why make it worse? Yes. Don't make the game harder for your players to play because you think it's mysterious. It's not. All right. If that's what you think you have to do to make the game mysterious then I got to tell you that you're doing it the wrong way because you're really just making the game more difficult. And not fun. 
your your players want to make decisions and they want to make informed decisions so the more information you can give them the more they're gonna have fun and play doesn't mean they're gonna break your game or beat your game it's not really about beating the game it's about them having fun and and making informed decisions yeah. things like gotchas and red herrings and stuff like that are like the worst things you can do like oh and guess what he actually was is the killer the whole time and you're like okay well that seems terrible uh, one thing we always freaking rip on uh, and you're are you are you playing pf2 then i, I don't know pf1 that well uh both i'm playing okay, both editions so you understand the recall knowledge check in yes. pf2 the worst effing thing is probably the recall knowledge check critical failure so in pf2 it says if you critical fail on the recall knowledge check as the gm you're supposed to give them false advice that is the worst thing i've ever heard of if i'm a player i would never want to hear false advice i would think that was the biggest waste of my time and and i, I only come here once a month twice a month three times a month to play in this game and then i'm going to be lied to during the game it's terrible as a gm i don't want to lie to my players either you know i would think on a critical fail you just don't get any advice on a failure you get like nothing or, or like worthless advice and on like a success you get some advice and on a success you can get like some really good advice i i think hiding information i think hiding roles all that stuff does not help the game it just makes us like haha you don't see what's behind the curtain like okay why don't we just play in front here we're all playing the same game i'm not it's not me against you we're all trying to progress the story we're going to create these situations and we're going to progress the story and there's just too many gotchas and too many things too many things that are like being hidden like like you were just talking about the poison check why why am i why are you hiding that from me what does that actually what does that actually do does that make you feel more powerful as the gm because it's not helping the player so now yeah. i feel degraded that doesn't help the situation like we're trying to do this we're trying to have a fun game with our friends and maybe they're random people online but they might become your friends um there, there's some really good people playing this game and i think anything you're just hiding and trying to be clever or i got you it, it just it, no that, that is that is one thing i absolutely hate i hate gotchas and i hate uh fudging <laughs> yeah i will definitely agree with the fudging i i do like a nice twist but it should always be in a situation where it's like it's not like the person you least expect because it doesn't make any sense yeah it has it to should, make sense for the story yeah and you know it's one of those things where it's like i remember one i i it was years ago and i did a murder mystery thing and the players actually figured out the gotcha ahead of time and i was like well i could change it so i still have that ha moment or i could just let them be happy that they figured it out early so what'd you do i let them have it uh, good for you yes absolutely yes. i think that's amazing your players will probably feel so good that we were able to do it so much so fast or we, we were so smart we actually played the game the way it should be played i feel that that empowers the players so much oh yeah i, I mean the I look on their faces the when it. they were like <gasps> that's right that's what <laughs> i think us gms play for i think that people get this like sense that they're like against the player no no we're all here to have fun oh, yeah. and and when you like you just described when they figured it out early they felt so good and i bet it didn't hurt your feelings you were like that's awesome good for you guys <laughs> i must remember feeling a panic just being like oh <laughs> shit here's my stuff oh, crap <laughs> well that's when you go to the mature conversation you guys solved that and that was fucking awesome i don't have anything else prepared for the night <laughs> like it was good for them they had fun and 
I will remember it always as a thing where it's like as it's just one of a thousand of examples of everything that you plan for and your players just somehow manage to circumvent the thing that you were convinced would take two books and it's done in <laughs> an hour and a half. Well, you know? what do they say? You're, you should only plan for the session you're playing. Yeah. And that's because if you plan, if you start planning for this like epic stuff, your players will show you a way that it's not going to happen. Yep. In in Rise of the Rune Lords, we were uh, going to take down Fort Rannick. So you know this okay. pretty well. So he's, uh, uh, our GM goes, there's a, uh, the one gate is like covered in debris. You can't get through it. The other gate's got a couple ogres blocking it. Okay. Obviously, he was trying to get us to go to that gate with the ogres or whatever was there. I said, uh, no, I got a bunch of bombs. I'm going to blow up that debris <laughs> at the other gate and I'm going to try to go through there. He was like, I am not prepared <laughs> like for whatever happens next. So we had to make all that up on the fly. He started trying to think, okay, this was going to happen. Okay, that's okay. Maybe an ogre hears you. Maybe doesn't. How big, how loud is this up? He was not prepared and he should not have been prepared because the players will find a way to do what we told them was you shouldn't even have that second gate. He goes, it was in the adventure. I said, I said, if you give me a second gate, I'm going through the second gate. <laughs> like, don't give me that second gate. <laughs> I can understand what he what he means. Like I've never had a players a group of players take the gates. Everybody's always gone through the waterfall. Oh, that was like when we heard there was like stuff in there. We're like, nah, we're, 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 I'm gonna go through the the gate with the debris and try to blow it up. I'm, I'm I was like steadfast, and my whole party was like, that makes sense. And my GM Derek was like, oh shit, like I was not ready for that. <laughs> I, I can imagine that that's one of those. Yeah, you know, at our table we called that. Curting an adventure after one of our GMs, Kurt, um, who he had this big adventure planned, and every step of the way we managed to just like <laughs> circumvent this trap, bypass that uh, encounter, do all these things, and then at the end, like the big thing that really screwed it up was he had set up this thing where it's like we can either stay in our thieves guild and and fight, or join this religious organization and fight against our thieves guild, and we're just like. We don't want to get involved in this at all. Like, we're just going to leave town. I love it. Yeah, he was just like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, we're getting the hell out of Dodge. Player he just agency. closed his notebook and said, come back in two weeks. Like, <laughs> I, I have nothing. Uh. <laughs> I love it. I love the idea that the players, and this is this is my biggest learning experience to GM, because when I first started playing, I had an adventure, and uh, one of the players, and we talked about this earlier, said like they wanted to go to the left, to the woods. And I'm like, the adventure path says you guys go straight into town. And I'm like, I don't know what to fucking do. I'm, I'm this is I'm like really early GM or DM at this point. I was doing five E, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And my and these are my brothers, and my family, and they're like, oh, so we're supposed to go into town. I'm like, well, that's what it says. And they're like, we'll go into town then. And I'm like, well, that kind of sucks. You guys wanted to go left, but whatever, we'll go into town. And after learning from Derek and stuff, I'm like, oh, like that that's that's an issue. Like you should you should feel empowered that the players want to do that. But but be yeah. responsible and communicated. Like players are gonna do what players are gonna do. They're gonna they're gonna upsert the you know, the law, they're going to do things you did not expect. That's why you do not plan that far in advance. Plan for the session and then make mature communications. Actually at the end of your adventure, you know, talk about it. Like, what are you guys gonna do next week? We're going to explore that dungeon. That that one? Okay, I'll have that one prepped for you guys. And that's where we're going to go. Because if, if they start doing things like like last-minute changes, well, we're not going to play a game anymore. Because 
you can't expect the GM to actually build the dungeon on the fly. I mean, some people probably could, but I, I it's not going to be cannot. very good. Yeah, and I and well, I for one will tell my players I'm not ready for that, and they know this. So, guys, we're going to go that dungeon. I will have that dungeon prep for you next week. I'll have it ready to go. We could talk about it like personally on our on our own private chat. What you guys are going to do, and I'll have it ready to go. Level up and be ready, or something like that. You can have those conversations be very mature. Communication, like you had pointed out, is so key. And, and these things can have such great things. You as the player feel like all your decisions matter. You as the GM feel like you're empowering this adventure. I think it's all great. You're not feeling like you're railroading anything. It's a win-win. Communication can help solve so many issues. <laughs> one of the, the standing jokes in one of, our, one of my groups that I play with, every campaign, for like four campaigns in a row, they kept joking about just saying, screw the adventure, let's go be pirates. <laughs> and every time in between campaigns, I'm like, do you guys like... There is a pirate campaign. Do you guys want to, like, is that a thing that you want to do? And they're just like, no, let's do this other thing where we're, like, religious envoys or whatever. And, and eventually I was just like, guys, you can go be pirates, but that's not this campaign. Like, yep. if you want to do it, that's fine. Um, but it basically means new characters because I'm just not, I'm not there yep. right now. And, you know, they eventually it just kind of became a joke but the first couple times it happened it was very much like all right uh i'm just sitting there nervous like are they really are they really gonna steal this ship and just go pirating because uh i I don't know what to do for that (laughs) yeah i would be very nervous again especially me being new i i would not i would be very but i'm very frank it sounds like you were you know trying to be frank with your players too and as long as you communicate no i'm jason like (laughs) 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 Uh, hey Um, but you can have that conversation with your players and say, you know, yeah, you guys can be pirates, but it's not going to happen today. <laughs> like, yeah. give me a give me a week or two. And we can do that. And I think that's perfectly fine. And, and I think players will most players will understand that, uh, though. I do like these. I do like the inside running jokes. And one one of my buddies, he he started almost every campaign. You were like locked up on a pirate ship. Like traveling into town, and so you like docked, and then you had to escape. And the joke was always every every time the pirate ship was like named after a land animal, a land mammal. And the our one of our buddies was like, "Why is every one of these effing pirate ships a land mammal? It doesn't even make any sense." And it it became it. He did a random chart to get the name of the <laughs> the pirate ship. So after a while, then it became like if it's not. If it's not a land mammal, I don't know what this pirate ship is. <laughs> like it, it needs to be a land mammal. This isn't a good pirate ship. So that kind of Arr. stuff can be really fun. I I actually love, and this is if you could keep a good consistent group, and and if you're a GM or you guys rotate GMs, um, I think it's really fun. Uh, pulling inside jokes, pulling tropes from other campaigns, pulling characters from other campaigns to be NPCs in other campaigns. These are so many cool tricks that you can do. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to pull like uh, we're doing a basically a West Marches campaign. Ooh, um, nice. And it, oh yeah, it's it's gonna be wild. So uh, you might not know this, but the people people listening maybe if they know us, we, we have a like a hundred person Discord with the GMs of just number and the years and years of experience. So what we want to do is have a giant Western West Marches campaign. We're gonna call it the Northern Northern Reaches, and basically it is um, a bunch of GMs that are basically forever GMs going to be playing this giant Western marches campaign all over the country because a bunch of these people are all from all over the world. And um, some are going to be players 
in some sections, but GMs in others, and it's going to sort of build this world, and there's going to be overseers to, like, sort of make sure everything is sort of compiling and the story is going to develop, but it's going to be super free range. You know, the world is unexplored, and the GMs get to sort of create it, and the players' sort of agency is going to create it, and what they do matters to other people's games that might be happening at the same time, you know, in, in, in retrospect. But that kind of stuff can be so fun, and you can have so much fun with it. So don't be afraid also as a GM to pull things uh, from your other campaigns, other campaigns they've done. Or, you know, I guess I'm being cheesy here, but like things you see on TV, things you see in the movies, uh, that kind of stuff uh, uh, people might resonate with, actually. Oh, is this kind of like that? Exactly like that. Now they feel like they're they know exactly how to handle the situation or whatever, and it, people people really like that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm excited for that kind of stuff. I I, lo- I love taking tropes um, from other things. One, I'm new, so it helps me. But two, um, uh, I think the players really really respond well to it. I, I got a lot of little points I'm going to touch on there. One, yeah. uh, listeners, West Marches is a style of campaign, not a campaign setting. It's kind of complicated. So just look it up. Um, it's it's designed for large groups, like what he's talking about here. Two, reoccurring NPCs are re- like I have found to be really popular. And then, was oh uh, the quote um, from Matt from Critical Hit podcast. He says the most successful DMs steal from the most obscure sources. So yeah, take your stuff. From I like it. Media, books, movies, stuff like that. You know, take your tropes. If your players recognize them, great. Don't try to pretend like that's not what you stole. You know, don't try to pretend like that's totally not this character from the graphic novel you've been reading. But if you can steal it and your players are like, this guy's really cool, but they don't know what it's from. You're just like, yeah, all right. We were just playing the campaign recently and and our GM was like, uh, uh, yeah, the gray cloaks are in town. I'm like, gray cloaks? Is that kind of like the white cloaks from Wheel of Time? He's like exactly like the white cloaks. I'm like, oh, I I know what's going on now. Like I know these these fuckers. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I love Wheel of Time. I really wish that, you know, they said they were going to make a show out of it. I really wish they had. Yeah, not whatever they just gave us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, don't need to, that's a that's, that's an a hour whole long of podcast. me bitching anyway. Yeah, and not with me because I am I'm very new to Wheel of Time. I'm on, I'm on book four. And uh, but the my GM and my other GM, uh, they are like avid, read the whole series like twice, listen to all the podcasts. Those are the guys to talk oh, to no about uh, Wheel of Time. Uh, I don't know this stuff. They say they listen to podcasts about it. I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm just trying to read through the books, which are 40 some hours on Audible uh, to get through. But they're they're quite impressive and they give you such good ideas that so we were talking about stealing. And look, watch Lord of the Rings. Watch some of this stuff. Yep. I'm going to start watching some old movies that I've never I've never seen before that my fantasy friends have been uh, requesting for me. These kind of things can can give you such little clues to tinker here, tinker there, and give your give your give your GM campaign this slight style or maybe a little bit of flavor that you're that you that you need, and your players go. Uh, we're going to go left next week. And like, oh, I actually think I have a good idea for how this is going to happen. And now you can just play with it. And I think you can learn a lot from other campaigns, of, of oh, yeah. other books, other stuff. And, and there's so many good things. And then, yeah, as you other pointed out, look into Western Marches. If you've got a huge group of people, it's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking like a couple dozen people because yeah. like if you're like, oh, i got a big group. It's eight people. That's not big enough for Western Marches. No. You need... I think we have like 30 people trying to play in this. And so yeah, basically, you're, right. 
yeah, you're you're basically running like a GM with like four to five players, and that GM might be a player in a different GM's game, and so I don't know. It's going to be pretty intense. Yeah, <laughs> it takes and, a lot of organization. That's the other thing. It's actually not for the faint of heart, uh, and and luckily I am new to this, and I don't have to. I don't have to be the the, the big ringleader here, but it takes a lot of coordination, a lot of communication. Uh, you have to basically track everything. What are the big main plots of the stories? So, so this is supposed to be a, a podcast about GMing, especially for like new GMs and what to do. Western March is not where you should start, <laughs> but no. uh, <laughs> but it, it does bring up the point. Take lots yeah. of notes. Yes, oh, that's a good point. Actually, that's a really good point. I don't probably take enough notes. I mean, I've been doing it for ten years, and I don't take enough notes. There are times <laughs> where I'm just like, "Oh, shit! I I didn't write down that NPC's name." Um, uh. What did that sound like? Yeah, I hope that player remembers what they're... uh, uh, Actually, as a player, I take more notes than a gym because I'm so focused on, like, what's happening in the story. You almost need a... Uh, like a a downtime action action after the session ends. Like, okay, session's over, guys. See you later. And then you just sit down and write. What happened? What were the big key points? Did they do what you thought? Oh, and they're going this way? They didn't kill that person. We just... um, In Rise of the Ruin Lords... I keep bringing this up just because I know you know the story. Uh, we went to the Fort Rannick and we did not defeat the sister, wife, cousin Ugh. of the of the oh. big ogre. Yeah, I know. And the son, husband, brother thing also. We didn't kill those things. They almost TPK'd us and we fled. So our GM goes, great, you fled. They didn't die. They're going to come back. And I'm like, fucking A. But if he wasn't taking notes... And he wasn't aware of that stuff. You might forget about that. No, he took those. No- well, I know he took those notes because they're definitely coming back to us to probably kill us later. But um, if you don't take those notes and take those notes of what happened, what did not happen, who did they not kill? Like, oh, there's an egg that you didn't didn't stop. Well, maybe in like six campaigns that egg hatched and something shitty happened. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> something you didn't but take care of. <laughs> But it's cool for in the future when you get to see it as a player, where you you know oh, yeah. where your DM's like, "Hey, remember that egg from the you know, Rise of the Rune Lords?" And you're like, what? "Oh, well, that's when the players think you're like super clever and you've been planning it for like years." And you're like, "Actually, no, I just took a note that said you didn't stop that egg. I just I put a little put a little note on my Trello board later on that that might happen." <laughs> yeah, this is just my uh, "you fucked up" board, and uh, I go yeah. back to it sometimes for when I need ideas for. Yep. What to throw back at you guys. <laughs> so, listeners, I think one of the biggest takeaways from this is you're really only going to learn once you sit down to do it. There's a lot to these games. There's a lot to GMing. There's a lot of advice out there. Figure out what works for you. And, yeah, I do suggest you know, you do listen to some advice threads. Uh, yep. YouTube videos, this, uh, blogs, whatever. Talk to your DM friends, but also understand that like I said earlier, it's not you have to do it this way. It's just like, you know, try this. Well, it's like you said about works. the kids. You just take the advice, put in your back pocket the stuff that you think you're going to need, and then and then communicate to your players that you're new. Because yeah. if you don't and they have this expectation, then you're going to you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Let them, let them know. And there's also like, you know, I, I started watching Matt Colville about three years ago. I've been DMing for almost 10 years and i that's when i started going out and like really watching a lot of his stuff years and years of dming and i'm still trying to learn stuff so you're always going to keep growing even all of us as players 
and as GMs. We should hopefully. always be growing and hopefully playing other systems besides this. I know this is a lot with 5e players. They don't like to play other systems. But uh, hopefully, you listening, you like to play other systems. So you can learn from other systems, other games, things that can improve the other games that you play. <laughs> yes, that is very much true. Because um, some systems just, uh, like uh, I did an episode months and months ago on kit bashing. I talked to a podcast where they're playing Starfinder. And they have they had a whole another system they were playing, a sci-fi one. And they're like, we love the ship combat in this, but hate the ship combat in Starfinder. So they're just using a whole different rule set from a whole different game. Love it. And, you know, and you can do stuff like that. I've tried to do advantage and disadvantage in um, in Pathfinder. It's like uh, I had a guy I, I used to be really close friends with. He said he didn't know English as well, like mechanically, until he started taking a German class. Part of that, I think, is because he had really bad English teachers because he told me like he was in <laughs> high school when he learned things like preposition, adjective. I was like, how the fuck did you get to high school without knowing these terms? But like, mm -hmm. he's like, but I learned them in German class and how they applied to English. Interesting. Yeah, but anyway, I, absolutely. We're going to wrap up here. So, Bob, do me a favor. What are your closing thoughts? What's the thing that during all this you're like, man, I wish I'd had a chance to say this? I don't know if I needed a chance to say anything. I just want to reiterate that communication is probably one of the biggest things that you can you can have as a GM. Your players are not your enemies. They're there to help you. You are there to help them. And so you guys are all friends, even if you guys are not really friends. And you guys should help each other create this great, epic story and these situations that you're going to do. So if you can communicate to your players, you guys will all move the story forward and get to the place where you guys want to be. And the same for the players to communicate to your GM. So I think communication is one of the best things that GM can have. And I don't, I think if, if, if you failed at everything else, if you still communicated, you guys will have a great time and you will learn and you will grow. And that's, that's the biggest takeaway you can probably listen to um, for any GM advice. I have nothing to add to that. That is, that is great advice. Challenge. Don't compete. Yep. All right, listeners, thank you for tuning in. And everybody, please say thank you to Bob from Knights of Last Call. Check them out. Links will be in the description to their YouTube channel. And uh, from there, it's, from what I've seen, they've got a, a plethora of content. So you'll be able to find something that suits your, suits your likes. Yeah, we got uh, APs. We got spell breakdown of every spell in Pathfinder 2. So we're, we're going through those. We got combat and tactics. We have uh, we started doing a night school. We did uh, some like hangouts. Our podcast is more of a relaxed, uh, like just breakdown of some like just sit down like this, like me and you just talking, Jason. So like let's just sit and talk about things. We get really off tangents and stuff. We don't really have topics. And then um, we also do book reviews. Paizo gives us sometimes access to books. Oh, um, nice. And so we get to do book reviews. We did uh, Absalon and we did Monsters of Myth. And then we just did review, though we did not get a free copy. We uh, actually bought this copy, but I think it's worth it. Uh, Battle Zoo Bestiary from Roll for Combat is a fucking sick-ass book. And uh, everyone should get that one, if you, especially if you're a Pathfinder fan. And they have it for 5e as well. And so we do book reviews as well, product reviews. We basically do everything we can We can try to do. We're going to start doing movie, movie reviews. I mean, we just like playing. We love fantasy games and RPGs. I'm new to this space, but our our team and our community has been so experienced. Um, 
that I mean that's obviously why, why Jason has reached out because he had seen that and and the community itself is amazing. The people on Twitter and Spotify and podcasting is just great. Uh, so definitely uh, pay attention to Jason and what he's doing at Shield Bash and 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 pay attention to uh, the other people that are out there because there's a lot of creative minds and a lot of fun stuff to listen to and that's going to help your game at home and your friends and and everything you're doing. So yeah, awesome closing advice. All right, thank you listeners and good night. Good night.